Have you ever noticed how hard times or challenges in our lives many times cause us, maybe even force us, to think about our lives maybe more than we have been? In my own life, I think about when I was about 12 years old, I lost the first close family member that I'd ever lost to death. I lost my great-grandmother, and, and we were very close. We had a very close family, and so I knew her very well. And so I remember being about 12 years old. I remember that just gripping my heart. And then around that time, my granddad uh, was, got very sick, and he was sick for several years, and he ended up passing away not long after that. And I truly believe that what happened in my great-grandmother's life and what happened in my great and my granddad's life were really significant pieces to God working in my life and speaking to me as a 12-year-old boy about the need to have my sins forgiven. I don't know if you realize it or not, but this year is the 10-year anniversary of the tragedy of 9-11. You know, many of us in the days and the weeks and the months after that, we, we held our loved ones tighter, didn't we? We, we were more appreciative of things that maybe we had taken for granted. Or you know what? There may be some people in this room right now that maybe 10 years ago, as a result of that tragedy that happened in our country, maybe that was the beginning of you beginning to turn back towards God. I, I would dare say there are probably some people in this room that that's really one of the things that got your attention. Well, today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to continue to talk about our series, Hope in the Midst of Hardship. And last time, or the last few times we've been together, we basically said in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, those first few verses, hey, let's think about, Peter challenged them, God challenged them through Peter, let's think about the great salvation that God has given to us. And I have to tell you, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but I had a sense after that weekend, after speaking about our great salvation that God's provided for us, I had a sense, and I don't know if this was me or the Lord, but I had a sense after that message, Robbie, that was one of the most important messages that you've ever preached in your life. To take salvation and to put it up and say, let's just look at it. Amen? Let's think about what God has done for us. Do you know what the Lord has done for you? Have you received that amazing gift? Praise his name, people. Amen? Praise the Lord. He has saved us. Just like that song we just sang. But today we're going to look at the verses immediately after that passage, and we're going to be challenged with this thought. When we begin to consider, as God was challenging them to consider, and I believe he's challenging us, when we begin to consider all that God has done for us, it really does challenge us to get a little bit more serious about our walk with God. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. In 1 Peter 1, verse 13, living like you mean it. If you are a child of God, if you do understand what Jesus has done for you, if you have received this amazing gift, is that showing up more and more in your life? Is God transforming your life as you understand more about what he's done for you? Is that making a difference? Are you living your life like you meant that profession of faith? When you said you put your trust in Jesus Christ. And the first challenge God gives us here is to get serious about our own life. Let's start in verse 13. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. 
because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on this earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but you, it says, you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and that your hope are in God. After taking salvation and lifting it up and putting it up on a, on a pedestal and saying, look at this, think about what Christ has done for you. Think about what God has done for your life. Peter says in verse 13, therefore... Now, I want to encourage you, anytime you're reading the Bible, when you see that word, therefore, you ought to ask yourself, it ought, it's there for a reason. What's it there for? Therefore, he says, in light of what I've just talked to you about, in light of all that God's done for you, even though, yes, I understand that you may be going through some difficult things in your life, Peter says, I want to challenge you, in light of what Christ has done for you, to start living your life serious more and more seriously about your relationship with God. And these are the challenges that he gives to them. I'm just going to say them real quick, and then we're going to go back and look at each one of them. He says, prepare your minds for action. He says, listen, I want you to get serious about your faith in God. Prepare your minds for action. Keep or stay sober. Fix your hope on the grace that's going to be brought to you at the second coming of Christ. Do not be conformed to your former lusts or desires that you had before Christ. Be holy like God is holy and conduct yourselves or, or live your life in fear. We're going to talk about what does that mean in verse 17. So let's look at each one of those instructions that God gives us about getting serious about our relationship with him. First of all, he says, prepare your mind for action. Now, if you have the old uh, King James Version or if you maybe have the more modernized uh, version of that, the New King James Version, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Or it could be literally translated, and I know this sounds weird, but I'm just trying to help you understand what it's saying here. It says, it could say, have the legs of your mind ready to move out. Now, both of those begin to give us somewhat of a picture of what's being said here, but it doesn't really make sense until you understand a little bit more of the context. What it's referring to is that in ancient times, they would wear these long garments, and if they had to run, if they had to be ready, especially like somebody in the military or somebody, if somebody had to move or, 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 or there was some emergency or something like that, they would wear a leather belt around their waist, and they would pick up part of that garment, and they would tuck it in, okay? That's really what's being talked about here. He's saying, be ready to move. Don't have anything loose, any loose ends, any obstacles in your life. You can almost see the picture, can't you? If you're supposed to tuck in your garments and get ready to run, he's saying don't have anything in your life that's going to cause you to what? Trip up, right? Isn't that the image? If I need to move quickly, if I need to take action, there doesn't need to be anything that's going to get in the way and trip me up. 
this past week when we had a marricade. Several of us, you know, we were out to getting ready for uh, the, the setup and everything. So we had to go out and get some grills. Different people in our church family had uh, said, hey, you can use my grill. Well, we went around to all these places and picked up people's grills. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't buy a grill every day. I mean, they're kind of expensive. You know what I'm thinking? When we're, when we're strapping in those grills, hey, I want to make sure these things are tied down pretty tight. Amen? I mean, I don't have to pay for a grill. I don't have to buy a new grill. So as we're getting ready for a marricade, we're kind of strapping those things down. You know, that's, that's another picture of kind of what he's saying here. Have, don't, don't have any loose ends. Don't have any things kind of just, just kind of uh, 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 careless or sloppy. God is wanting to work in your life. He's ready to do that. Are you? Do you have your head on straight? Is your mind ready for action? Don't be lazy. Don't be sloppy. Don't be careless. Is there anything in your mind, is there anything in your thinking that is not in line with what God wants to do that's going to get in the way of what he wants to do in your life? Maybe another way of putting it is, are you paying attention? Amen? Are you listening? Are you ready? If God wanted to do something in your life, are you ready to listen to what he has to say? Whatever that is, if there is a problem, Let's get it straightened out so God can do whatever he's trying to do. Now, I think those other statements that I mentioned are basically the same kind of ideas. He's just reiterating the same thing in different ways. The second one was, he said in verse 13, also to keep sober or to stay sober. Now, obviously, when we think of sober, we think about what's the opposite of being sober. We usually think about being drunk or being intoxicated. Okay, so, so you could see it like this. He's saying, don't become intoxicated by the things of this world. Have a clear mind, right? If you're drunk, you don't have a clear mind, do you? You can't make good decisions. You're not thinking right. He's saying, have a clear mind. Be focused. In fact, if you could just kind of summarize basically what's being said in these verses, that's really what's kind of being said. Are you focused? Are you intentional? Are you ready? Are you serious about your relationship with God? Again, what does that come in light of? In light of all that God has done for me, I should be ready to do whatever God wants to do. Then the third thing he says, again, same kind of idea, but he just expresses it in a different way. He says, fix your hope completely on Jesus and his return. Now, this is a good word to some people who the circumstances in their life weren't going so well, right? They were either being persecuted for their faith or we found out uh, earlier in chapter 1 that there were lots of different challenges that they were facing in their life. Peter's basically saying, don't put your hope in the things of this world. In fact, he doesn't just say it'd be a good idea to hope in God. What does he say? He says, fix your hope. What does he say? Fix your hope completely on the Lord and his return. You know, that sounds good in church. It sounds like it's the statement itself. Sounds, are you trusting in the Lord? And all of us say, amen, amen, amen. I trust in the Lord. How about you? Amen, I'm trusting the Lord. How about you? Trust in the Lord all the way. But I want to challenge you to think about that tonight. Are you truly completely trusting in the Lord and waiting upon him and what he has for you? There are many people in our world that are not trusting in the Lord. And many of those people call themselves Christians. They, they, in their mind, they, they want to say, they want to think, they want to credit themselves. Yeah, I trust in God. But in the reality, the reality is they're trusting in a relationship. 
Many of us, uh, over the last little while, people have lost money in their 401k. And you know what? That's revealed to some people. Oh, my goodness. I didn't realize. Oh, wow. I was trusting in my retirement a lot more than I thought I was. Amen? Isn't that true? A lot of people have realized that through these difficult times. Their income or the stock market or, or the equity in their house. Many of us are trusting in other people's approval or, or recognition of some type, some status that we're looking for, some, some uh, career uh, step that we want to take. We're trusting. Man, if we can just get to, anybody ever say that? If we can just get to that point, man, we'll be in good shape. You ever say that? If you're saying that, you need to ask yourself, am I completely trusting in the Lord? Am I putting my hope in Christ in his return one day. If you're a follower of Jesus, God would say, don't put your hope in those things. When you're going through tough times, don't depend on the things of this world to bail you out or to get you through. Fix your hope on God and put your hope in the future that he has for you. If my hope is in the future that God has for me, I'm not really bound by the circumstances of this life. Isn't that true? I'm looking for something else. I can't get overly excited or overly disappointed in this life because I wasn't really banking on it anyway. Amen? I'm looking for something later that God has for me. Now, though we shouldn't have our head in the clouds or be out of touch with real life, we've got to be careful about that because some Christians kind of go that direction, okay? We need to have our feet on the ground. But I do think that Christians ought to think about heaven more often. Have you thought about that? Do you think about heaven? Do you think about what awaits you there? We talked about it earlier in chapter 1. God says, set your hope on that. The fourth thing he says, don't be conformed to the way that you used to live. He says, don't be, he actually says, don't be conformed to the former lust or the former desires that you had in your life in verse 14. That word conformed actually means, it's, it's, a, it's a very picturesque word. It means don't be pressed in. Okay, don't have an outside influence that's kind of pressing you into a mold. Okay, you're trying to fit something into some pattern. When I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about cookie cutters. When I was growing up, I, I don't remember what kind of cookies they were, maybe sugar cookies, or and I don't remember exactly what the cookie cutters were. I think they were like snowmen and Santa Claus. I think it was winter we'd do the cookies. My mom would make cookies. But I remember, you, you know, you'd take, you, you'd put the... You'd put the dough out. I don't know, ladies, you can laugh at me. Whatever it is you put out, you put it out and you roll it out and then you take the cookies, you know, you take the, the, the cutters and you make your cookies, right? But those cookies were pretty well predetermined what they were going to look like by what? By the cookie cutter. Yeah, that's kind of the idea here. God says, don't allow yourself to be shaped. Uh, we even use the phrase, don't we? I don't want to use a cookie-cutter approach to this situation. or I don't, want to, I don't want to use a cookie-cutter approach in my life. What it's saying is I don't want to only use a pattern that's been preset by someone else. And that's really a good idea of what's being said here. The world has a way. Listen, friends. Many of us Christians do not realize it, but we're doing our best to follow God while still staying in the pattern or the mold of the world. And we need to ask some questions tonight about some basic assumptions or presuppositions that we have about life, especially as Americans. Things that we sometimes think are bottom dollars or just, are just the way life is. 
many times that's more American than it is Christ-like, okay? And we need to realize that. We need to separate those things out. The world has a way of shaping our life into a cookie-cutter pattern. And what God's saying is those ways are not good for you. They will ultimately hurt you. That's the way you used to live. That's the things you used to desire before you came to know the Lord. But he says you did that when you lived in what? In ignorance. There was a time in my life, would anybody say amen? There was a time in my life when I didn't know some things that I know now. Isn't that true? Many people tell me all the time, Pastor Robbie, these things that we're learning out of the Bible, I've never heard this stuff. I've never learned this before. I've never been taught this before. Wow, I wish I had known this earlier in my life. We're going to have to trust God with that, amen? His grace, His forgiveness, His power to change some things that were built into our lives maybe deep early on. But you have a choice now. He says, don't desire to go back to a way that before you knew better, you used to live like that. You wouldn't live like that now, would you? He says, not if you're obedient children to the Lord. I'm afraid that some of us Christians need to realize, would you just allow God to speak to you tonight? That some of our lives still look a lot like they did before we came to know the Lord. And would you just ask the Lord, would you just ask him, God, are there things that I've just taken as just the way I live, the way I do things, the way I respond, the the way I act, the things I say, are there things that I've got built into me that I need to let you work on tonight? He says, instead of that, rather than that option, the fifth thing is be holy like God is holy in verse 15. If you just want to bring it down to simple language, he's saying be different than the world's way. Live your life like God's way. God's way is different. And that word holy means more than just plain different. It means a special. It, it's a, when we were singing that song a, a little while ago when it says holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, many people sing that and they think that they recognize that as a Christian term or as a Christian way of expressing uh, what we believe about God, but many people have never thought about that. When I say, when I'm singing those words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, I'm always reminding myself when I sing those words, different, different, different is the Lord God Almighty. Amen? Special, special, special. Like Isaiah reiterates many, many times, there is none like you. Amen? There, there are, who, who among the gods are like you? There are no gods like you. Amen? That's what holy means. He is special. He is unique. He is different. There is none like him. And we will never approach the capital H holy he has, amen? Except through Christ, he, he grants us the ability to have that relationship with him. But in, the, in, in our sense of what we're seeking with holiness is we can't ever be like God exactly, but it's our goal that as much as possible as he works in our life that we reflect more and more him and who he is. It may feel weird to say it, but you need to grow in being holy. We, we think of a halo, don't we? <laughs> we think of a white robe and a halo and, you know, playing a, playing a harp like an angel or so. You know, that's the image that the world has of, of holy. It doesn't, it doesn't sound very appealing or it sounds very weird. No, it just means that more and more of my life should look like Jesus. It should be special and set apart and lived for him. By the way, some Christians interpret this holy idea as, as kind of uh, 
getting to a higher place, okay? And, and kind of, when you're in a higher place, you start looking down at other people, don't you? Okay, well, if our definition of holy means condescending or judgmental, we're actually not being holy. Actually, we're, we're going over into sinful. And actually, about as sinful as you can get. Isn't that odd? So we got to be very careful, don't we? Our definition of holiness needs to be God's definition of holiness, which is not a proud or arrogant or aloof. It just means more and more like Jesus. And realizing that one day I'm going to give an account of my life to God. Well, let's stop there just a minute. Did you hear what I said? One day, and it could be tonight, I am going to give an account of my life to God. He says, in light of that, live your life like it matters. Conduct your lives, live your life in fear is actually what it says. Now, I want, I want, I want to share with you what, it, what it's not saying there. If you are a child of God, this does not mean that you have to be afraid of God in the sense of he's going to squash you or he's going to crush you or if you get out of line, he's going to hurt you or he's going to kick you out of his family. It's not, it's not talking about fearing my eternal destiny. Thank the Lord when I give my life to Christ, I am secure, I am assured in him. Amen? Not in myself, but in him, I do not have to be afraid. The Bible says there's a sense in which perfect love casts out fear. Okay, The Bible talks about that in 1 John. But here's what I believe it means. If you truly know the Lord and you understand who he is, how could you possibly be okay with just living your life any old way? Something's missing, isn't it? He says, instead, during your short stay here on this earth, during your, it actually can be translated, during your pilgrimage here on this earth. It's actually, remember back in chapter 1, verse 1? Remember we talked about that? That we're just passing through? We're just pilgrims? It's not the exact same word, but it's the same idea being reiterated. Listen. This really spoke to me this week as I thought about it. It says, as you are going on this short stay, this short pilgrimage, you're on kind of a trip. You're in a place that's a temporary place but one day you're going back home. Okay, we're going to heaven, right? That's what I was made for, to spend eternity with God. All right? During that short stay on earth, be careful. Watch out. You know what this made me think of? You know, many of you may be on business. You have to go out of town. Do you ever find when you're out of town, it's a whole lot easier to be a jerk? It's a lot easier to blow your horn at people. It's a lot easier to be mean to somebody at a restaurant. Do you ever find, now you're going to look at me like, Pastor Robbie, I can't believe. I'm just telling you, when I'm out of town, I, it surprised me when I first started going on, you know, trips and different things. I go to a missions conference or go represent our church for something. I get on an airplane, it's a lot easier when nobody that I know is around me, I'm more tempted to be kind of bad attitude. Would you guys agree? It's a lot more tempting to watch things on TV that I shouldn't be watching. Is that not true? Okay, what this made me think about is, I just began to see that image, okay? When you are on a trip outside of your, really where you live, where you're from, okay, it's a lot easier to get off track. You know what keeps me on track when I'm away from home? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching over the evil and the good. 
And I'm going to tell you, there's been a couple of times where he's shown me. I'll just give you one example. One time I was in Atlanta, Georgia with a bunch of pastors, and we were just kind of joking, kidding around, waiting on an airplane. I backed up, and I bumped into one of our members of our church. Here, one of you guys. I was just like, wow. I'm glad I was acting right, amen. I mean, if I was being an idiot or whatever, you understand what I'm saying? But when I think about that, I say, you know what? That's just a, that's just a human reminder, but I've just had to, to put some things into place to remind myself, you are more vulnerable when you're on those short trips. So you need to be aware of that, and you need to fear the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? You need to be concerned about what God thinks about your life and realize the vulnerability that you have on this short trip that you're taking. If you're a child of God, you're bound for heaven, but you are not there yet. And you need to fear the Lord and be very careful in this strange country. Why? It says in verses 18 through 21, I'll just summarize it. I read it to you earlier. Basically, why should I be so concerned about how I live my life? Because Jesus gave his precious blood so that I could have a relationship with him. How dare I take that lightly? Amen? That's basically what it says in verses 18 through 21. So let's, let's bring this all together. Let me ask you a few questions. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus today, are you really? Listen, just, just be still for a moment. You may even just close your eyes. Just let God ask you these questions. Are you really honestly living your life seriously for God? Are there some loose ends in your life that need to be tightened up? Or are there some things that are, that are threatening to trip up your life? Does God ever speak to you about that? If you don't deal with that, that's going to hurt you. That's going to hurt your testimony. That's going to hurt my ability to use you. Does God ever speak to you about those things? Is God speaking to you about something like that tonight? Have you become intoxicated by the things of this world too much of that has come into your life. Too much of that has taken your attention and it's affecting your relationship with God. It's taking too much of your time. It's taking too much of your money. It's taking too much of your effort. Have you found that the more you gather of the things of this world, the more it takes to maintain it? You ever find that? It takes more energy, doesn't it? The more we invest in those things. Are you trusting in God alone? Are there some other things that you've fixed your hope upon I really need this to come through. You know, all I really need to come through, I need to know that Jesus is truly going to do what he said. He's going to come back and fix things one day. And I have a feeling he's going to come through. If I'm trusting that, I'm good. Are you at times, do you find yourself turning back to your old ways? Do you find yourself tempted to go back to those old habits are you honestly desiring for your life to be different for God? Are you pursuing that? What we say in our church is that worship, grow, serve. Are you, are you giving God that opportunity on multiple levels to work in your life, to, to grow you, to expand your relationship with him? Have you forgotten that you're not at home right now and you've let your guard down? You need to ask the Lord to help you in this strange land. So if we want to begin living like we mean it, we need to understand, when we begin to understand our salvation and what God has done for us, we want God to help us to get serious about our own lives, but we also need to get serious about loving other people. Look at verse 22. 
He says, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Now, what we're about to talk about is so important to our Christian life. Listen, don't miss this. I believe ultimately, yes, God wants to work in my life. Yes, God wants to work in your life. And many times that's kind of our initial approach when we come to Christ, isn't it? I need for God to forgive me. I need for God to work in my life. But friends, listen, the more you grow in your relationship with God, the more you're going to find that whatever happens in my life is just a nice byproduct. But really the focus of my life is to give it in sacrificial service to others like him. Amen? I would even say to you that as I read the Bible, the focus seems to be that the reason, the primary motivation for me, and, I, and maybe some of you are finding this in your own life, the primary motivation for me to get my life straight is because I don't want to mess up yours. Amen? I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of times I'd choose the wrong thing if God didn't bring you guys to my mind. I say, Lord, you know what? I got a lot of people that are looking to me. A lot of people that my life influences, I don't want to let them down. Amen? So even the growth that I desire from God, in some way, I believe, and maybe in the biggest way, ought to be focused on the reason I want to grow is because I want to be more effective in serving others and helping them to know God. Peter says that we should have a sincere love for the brethren. That can be translated, we should love one another without pretending. We should have a love for other people, here specifically fellow believers, a love that is sincere, literally, it literally says a love that's not hypocritical. i got to be honest with you, as soon as I read that, I thought to myself, what does that mean? A love that is not hypocritical. Here's what I was thinking, how could somebody have a hypocritical love? That just sounded odd to me. But then I began to realize the word hypocrite just means a pretender. Okay, that's what it means. So it's saying, listen, we should not pretend to love one another. We should truly, sincerely, really love one another. Have you ever seen Christians? Maybe we should put it in quotes. Have you ever seen Christians or churchgoers pretend to love one another? I got to be honest with you. There are some Christians and some ministries that I don't like being around because they smile, they act like they're honoring God with the words they say, with their lips, but in their hearts, I'm not so sure. I have found, and I don't understand this, and I pray that God would help us with this, that it would not happen in this place because it seems to happen in a lot of churches. Christians, many times, I've found, say mean things to each other and then label it as kidding around. Or, or we say it with a smile on our face, which somehow makes it okay to hurt somebody's feelings. And then they back it up with a back say, you know, I love you, man. But many times I hear Christians talk to each other, and this is all over. Everywhere I've been involved, I see churches in different places that Christians find ways to insult or hurt one another in backdoor ways that still feel good about it. You know, it's like a lady who might walk up to another lady who got a new dress and say, you are so amazing. I admire you so much. You're so creative. I just don't know how to pick out things like you do. What she really means is, 
I want to tell you that your dress is ugly, but I'm not going to say it in a way that's obvious or that's going to make me look bad. Now, that sounds bad to even say. I almost didn't even want to tell you guys. That sounds bad to say, doesn't it? But people do that stuff in churches. Have you ever had people say something and they smile and it was sweet, but you wondered, was that a compliment or criticism? <laughs> Christians say those things. Here's another way I've seen it in churches. I don't know who, whoever came up with the Christian garbage phrases like, I can, love you, I can love you, but I don't have to like you. Or I don't get along with that person, but I can love him in the Lord. What does that mean? We used to have a lady in our church. She doesn't come here anymore who honestly, I don't think, I really don't think she liked me and, and some other people in our church. And she would say to me, Robbie, I love you in the Lord. You know what I heard? Robbie, I don't like you very much, but the Lord says I'm supposed to, so I'm going to give it a try. I wasn't feeling the love. <laughs> it wasn't. Listen, friends, don't say pious False, pretentious things like that. I know this is kind of heavy, but I think we need to think about it. Somehow, we found a way to try to fulfill the letter of God's command. We know we're supposed to love each other. We know we're supposed to relate to each other. We know we're supposed to forgive one another. And we found ways to give the appearance, to make even ourselves feel good about it while still hanging on to the sin in our hearts. We don't want to love each other. We don't want to forgive each other sometimes. We don't want to relate to each other. And here's the sad scene in heaven. Would your heart be broken like I believe God's is broken? There are churches all over this world where somebody's sitting right here and somebody's sitting over there. They can't stand each other, but their hands are lifted high to the Lord. That's odd to God. It needs to change because it doesn't happen in heaven. Some, something's wrong there. I can't worship God and hate someone else. One's got to give. In fact, somebody said this, it is impossible to love the truth and hate the brothers and sisters in the Lord. What God's saying is no faking, friends. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, live like you mean that profession. We need to ask God. And it's a struggle, Amen. Hey, you get 350 to 400 people together. Hey, just get two called marriage, right? <laughs> and by the way, that's one of the great things about marriage. It forces us to learn how to love God's way. We need to expect that there are people in this room, in this church, that are going to get on your nerves. They don't do things like you do, whatever. They even hurt your feelings, but somehow to find a way... God, I want to love them like you want me to love them. And it's actually not just to try to do that a little. God says, fervently love one another. And then he sticks with this, from the heart. Fervently love one another. Fervent is a strong word. It actually means to stretch something out. It means to put tension on something. Have you ever said God's really stretching me right now? Okay, maybe tonight he's stretching you. He's wanting you to stretch in your love for other people. And again, the emphasis on the sincerity from a, it literally says, from a clean heart. Again, many of us try to attempt to do what God says just to, just to obey, just to do what he said to do because we know we're supposed to. 
but I need to let God work in my heart. I may not be there right now, but I need to know that ultimately God wants that to be from my heart. It's for real. It's not just out of obedience, because it, but it's because my heart is getting more in line with his heart. And here's a question I have at this point. What does it look like to fervently love one another? Would you think about something for just a moment with me? What if someone in our community said about New Hope, those people over there, you know, I, I kind of, I thought it would be cool if they said they really love one another. But I'm reading this passage and it's going farther than that, doesn't it? Those people fervently, what would be happening in our midst for people to recognize that we really truly passionately seriously sacrificially care about each other sounds to me like some people who are spending time together getting to know one another meeting one another's needs helping each other grow praying for each other sacrificing for each other not just helping when it's comfortable or easy for me but even when it costs me now friend i want to challenge you tonight in light of what christ has done for you are you living like you mean it and he says, Peter challenges him. He says, yeah, there's some things that need to change in your life, but really there's some things that need to change in your relationship with others. Have you been holding back? For whatever reason, I don't know what that reason is. It may be something going on in you. It may be some things going on in us that you know you struggle with. But have you been holding back? Have you been waiting? Have you been observing? But God is calling you at some point. You've got to jump in. Amen? You've got to invest. You've got to open up your heart. And it may not be this church. If for whatever reason, this church, does, this is not the church for everybody, amen? Jesus is the Savior for everybody. This is not the church for everybody, though. If God's calling you to another church where you can invest and give whatever that is, but find a place where you can give your heart to others and they can give their heart to you. And by the way, this might sound kind of exclusive because we're talking about ministering to one another. God's love doesn't turn inward. God's love always reaches out to bring in more. That's one thing God's taught me about his love. God's love always has room for one more. Amen. The Bible says, by this, though, all men will recognize that we're his disciples. If we have love for each other, they're gonna, that's what distinguishes us from everyone else is that we truly sacrificially care and love each other are you squirming <laughs> good amen i am too let god work in your heart god's speaking to you about getting serious more serious about your faith is he maybe even using trials to do that doesn't he sometimes he allows difficult things in our lives to grow us. Do you need to tighten up some things in your life, in your walk with God? If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, there's a huge gaping hole in your life. You're missing that relationship with God. Don't even try to live for God until you have Him living in you. Tonight, have you given your life to Christ? Maybe the next step for somebody here is to be baptized. I know for some people that rocks their world. The public aspect, the statement of it, right? I am publicly declaring, I'm, I'm coming out, I'm sharing. 
Everybody's going to know now. My family, my coworkers, this is, this is big. I know that's big. But is God challenging you? It's time. Is there some sin in your life? And God is putting his finger on that, and you know it. There was a time in my life where there was something that I knew should not be there. I kept waiting, I kept waiting, I kept waiting. God gave me chances after chance after chance. And finally the Lord said to me, Robbie, this is your last chance. If you don't get this straight, I'm not going to keep the pain from you anymore. Is God speaking to you about that? I have given you time after time. It is time to deal with this. For some of us, it's not sin. It's just extra weight. The Bible talks about that in Hebrews 12. Sometimes things that we're carrying are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves. But you know what? Some of us are just so busy. We're just so filled up by the things of this world. And we don't even mean to. That we can't let God work in our lives. Is God calling you to action? It's time to get serious about you. What about your relationship with others? Is God calling you to partnership with this church family? Is God calling you to write your name on the line, to sign up, to raise your hand, to say, I am with this church family. You can count on me. I am locked together with you. We are partners together. I don't know what I'm waiting for anymore. Is God calling you not just to say that, but to truly get involved? Maybe some of you have become members of our church family that you have not truly gotten involved. Are are you serving in community with this church family? Are you letting God work through you to impact others? How many of you are looking back at this last week and said, did you realize there was a whole week of serving our community? Did you let that get by you? And God would just challenge you. I don't want to let that happen again. I want to be engaged. I want to be involved. I want to be a part of what God is doing in the lives of other people through this church family. Sometimes God uses difficult things to grab our attention. While he has your attention, would you respond to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for giving us your word. We thank you for challenging us. We thank you for your grace, and your mercy, your kindness, your patience with us. But Lord, help us not to take advantage of that. If someone here tonight knows that God is speaking to them,